Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and their financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palates and should be celebrated and not judged. Today's Wine and Dime podcast combines somebody else's two passion, law and wine. I really think you're going to enjoy this interview with Elizabeth Hill. There are so many special nuggets in here. And one of my favorite phrases that she says is that it's about supporting each other, not competing with each other. That's a lesson that I think we can all learn from. So sit on back, grab your favorite beverage, and have a wonderful listen. You are listening to Wine and Dime, the podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance, with your host, Amy Irvine. Amy is a certified financial planner and owner of Rooted Planning Group and author of Uncork Your Finances. You can learn more about Amy by heading over to the website, www.rootedpg.com. And now on to the show. Take it away, Amy. Hey, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, for those that are listening, you'll notice that very adorable Southern accent. Elizabeth is calling in from Texas. And um, one what of the things- accent? <laughs> yeah, I have it, right? <laughs> when um, many people don't know this about me, but I actually spent part of my childhood in Texas in the Galveston area, kind of Houston area, really. And um, I picked up that accent very easily. And whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh, I miss that so much. So I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm back in my childhood. Thank you very much for taking an old lady back. <laughs> well, it's so funny because, of course, we don't hear it ourselves. Yeah. And then I hear people around me that have such, such a West Texas accent that I think, oh, I just have a normal voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the reasons we're so excited to have Elizabeth on the show today is because she is uh, a just a, maybe even more passionate about wine than I am. Not only does she have favorite wines, I'm sure, as she's going to share with us in just a minute, but she's going to share with us a journey about a winery that she owns. So very excited to talk about that. And as we usually do in starting the show, I do have to ask, do you have a favorite wine? Oh, I do. You know, I really I always love a good red in the fall and winter. So mm-hmm. right now, 
One of my favorites that Texas is growing really well is Montepulciano, which is not an especially well-known red wine variety, but it grows really well here and it it's kind of a Pinot Noir substitute. So that's what I'm enjoying, but I will tell you, I drink rosé year round. <laughs> and so I love our rosé and our Montepulciano. What is your rosé based from? It's Senso, Syrah, and Grenache. Ooh. Do you ship to Florida? <laughs> um, actually, we can. Um, there's a few limited states we're in right now, and we're trying to expand that as quickly as we can. It's just, you know, regulations and having yes. to um, complete permit applications and fun stuff like that. <laughs> well, any wine, there's like th- three Pinots that I really like. One is uh, Cab Franc based. Um, that's always very enjoyable. Pinot Noir is always very enjoyable. But anything yes. Grenache related is extremely enjoyable to me. So the fact that yes. you have that in your in your rosé, I'll just have to give that a try. Maybe yes. Oh, I, I love it. It's a very sprightly, I like to call it, rosé that just feels like summer to me. So yeah. I, I actually do love it all year round. I've got one of those rosé drinkers. Well, so. you live in Texas. You have summer yes. year round. <laughs> That's about. pretty much correct. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So I want to dive into your story because I don't know very many women run wineries. And most of the most of the wineries that I'm familiar with are maybe couple owned, but um, they there aren't very many that are that are like that. A lot of them tend to be male owned. And so I want to dive into that and I want people to understand your background just a little bit. So let's, I feel like when I talk about life being a mirror of a vineyard and all the influences in it for you, I just feel like I'm preaching to the choir. So (laughs) tell us about the journey to the formation of your not, you know, your true blue winery, your true bloom vineyard. Yes. Well, I did get into it through my husband. He was growing wine grapes before I met him, and he he and his family have been farming the land for generations. They've grown all kinds of crops, including cotton and soybeans, and he tells me stories of how they um, grew cucumbers for McDonald's. It's really funny. (laughs) They have never been afraid to try new crops or, or experimental crops. And so when someone mentioned to them that their land would be a good site for a vineyard back in um, about 2001, they ordered a bunch of vines and planted (laughs) about five acres in 2002. And uh, my husband's dad, my husband's name is Chase. His dad, Don, figured out really quickly that vineyards are very, very tough labor and, and just take a lot of work. And so, of course, he had a young son at the time who was in college and would be good to do that. And Chase was getting his degree in horticulture. This is way back when here in Lubbock, Texas, Texas Tech now has a viticulture degree and all kinds of programs because of the industry. But back then, they didn't have that. So, he learned um, from the beginning, you know, how to nurture the vine and how to grow the vine here in West Texas, where it's very dry and actually grows really well. And so when I met him, I actually didn't know that much about wine. This was a little over 10 years ago. And I, I like to joke that I the wine that I drank was the kind of wine that you get at the drugstore that <laughs> comes in like the giant liter bottle and it's super cheap. And anyway... <laughs> 
it was it was a really good financial buy. But, but I just I dove into it, loved it, um, really enjoyed working on my own wine knowledge and how to become a student of not only the vine, but seeing the grapes from the vine all the way to the glass. And so about four years ago, we decided to go ahead and start making wine. And it's been a fun progression. And I really enjoy it. I'm extremely active in the management of the winery and do a lot of the day-to-day management. My husband is a farmer by heart and he prefers to be in the field. And so we do it together, but um, we found a good partnership to make it work well. And by trade, you were originally an attorney, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) When you think about, you know, you're looking at the the chart and you're thinking, okay, I, I'm, you know, that takes a lot of work to become an attorney. Number one, a lot of schooling, passing the bar exam, Um, the passion that it took to, to do both, uh, I'm sure was challenging. And to get more involved with the winery, I'm sure that you guys had to talk through how is that going to work? How are, how are you going to manage time and schedules and money and all of that? What tell us like, so you, you, you kind of gave the short version, the direct version, but tell us about making the decision to get more involved in the winery and, and really running it. Well, you know, it's kind of one of those things when your passion draws you in a certain direction and you find a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. I ended up, I had been at um, what was kind of a larger firm for Lubbock, which is not big for big cities, but it had about 18 attorneys. And so that kind of job, I, I really would not um, have the time to do as much as I'm doing right now. And so about two and a half years ago, I opened my own law practice so that I would be able to have better control of my own schedule and be able to um, split my time when I can and to be more involved in the winery. And that's about the time that we kind of branched out on our own. We had kind of started making wine with a couple of other families and then decided we wanted to just continue to pursue um, the dream of having our own winery, which we do now. So you said about two years ago, <laughs> I being uh, independent myself, um, the fear that gets into let me start my own firm. Uh, I know you know you were involved in the the winery as as well, but it. It's, it was probably, I mean, when you think through that decision-making process, I'm sure there were some emotions that were <laughs> thought oh, yes. through <laughs> yes. or fought through. I'm not sure what word to use. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and there still are. Um, we are presently um, working on opening our tasting room in Lubbock. We have a tasting room open in a nearby small town called Loveland, which is very close to the vineyard and it's where my husband is from. And so that was a good place to start. Mm-hmm. And so right now we're we're in probably the last month to month and a half of renovations of an old building in downtown Lubbock. And so we're having kind of 
continued feelings of, well, I hope it's going to be successful and, mm-hmm. and really wanting it to be just as beautiful as we envision it. And so it seems like as a business owner, those um, times kind of ebb and flow depending on the next great challenge that you're tackling. And so, yeah, it's, there have definitely been scary moments, but, you know, I think when you have that entrepreneurial spirit, those also excite you. And I know whenever I was starting my own law firm, it was very scary, but I did reach out and and try to really um, draw on the knowledge of some other law um, firm owners. And that really helped a lot. I think finding a mentor and making sure you um, rely on others, that's definitely a big bonus to, um, I always say community over competition. And so that's, that's one way that I've survived those moments. (laughs) I love that community over competition. And I think, um, man, that, that may have to be the title of this podcast because (laughs) no, like that is one of the things that I always say, like, you know, you can have 15 wineries in your time in your town. And if you all get better because you're a community, then it's going to draw more visitors into your community. Right. So exactly. if you look at it from a community perspective, then not a competition perspective, everybody is going to improve if you decide to work together. So I love that. <laughs> That's the way you think. And I don't, I don't believe we said the name of your winery and I apologize for that. It's, Berkeley Hill Vineyards, correct? Yes, Berkeley Hill. And it's spelled a little funny. We named it after my husband's grandfathers because of the family history and, and they both passed on, but their names were Burke, B U R K, and Eddie Lee. And so we spelled it true to the way they spelled their name. So it's B U R K L E E, Berkeley Hill is our last name. So that's how we came up with that name. I love that 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 family feeling is involved with it, that you you kind of carried because you said that the family itself has owned the property for about 100 years in total. Yes. And um, that is really such an incredible heritage. And so we definitely wanted to incorporate that history into who we are. And one of the things I was out on your website poking around before I started recording on the um, podcast and even um, prior to us getting together and, and setting a date on the calendar. But one of the things I noticed when I was poking around on your website was that you really do create an adventure when you uh, go to the winery. Because from the pictures that I could see and from the descriptions that I could see, it's not just about going to the tasting room and tasting a little wine. It's about going on a journey and experiencing the flavor that food and wine together can create in the moment, right? Yes. And that's something we've always been passionate about. Um, We really believe that wine is best enjoyed with food. And I think, you know, just straight wine tastings are fun and a great time, but add a charcuterie board and there, they can be, you know, a small meal and a time with Mm -hmm. friends. And so we, we have really expanded our food offerings and we're going to do the same thing with our new tasting room in Lubbock. And so it really becomes for us kind of a bistro with a wine tasting room. I think you need to open up a, a location in uh, this little town called Parish, Florida. 
<laughs> would that be convenient? It would be. We've got some great wineries up here in, in um, you know, the Finger Lakes area of New York, but I'm not so lucky down in our Florida location. So gotcha. it's, it's a bit of a challenge. Muscadine is about the only grape that will grow in Florida. So it's, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 You get yeah. it, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, well, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say we grow Muscat and it's, it's one of those grapes that make such a versatile wine. You can go sweet or dry with it, but um, yeah, that would be limiting if that's all you can grow. <laughs> I tend to like very uh, heavy, dark reds, but I also very much like uh, Cab Francs and Pinot Noirs, which I would consider full flavored, but not necessarily yes. heavy. Yes. Um, what would you say the specialty is for the grape that's in your region? So there's a couple of different specialties. Um, Malbec grows really well here in Texas, and um, Texas Malbec does really well Um on the world stage, even competing with Argentinian Malbecs. It's really exciting. And I think climate has so much to do with that. Uh, Tempranillo is also kind of being dubbed the Texas fruit. They're kind of calling it the Texas Tempranillo, kind of like the California cab. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Tempranillo is really nice and it's a big, bold flavored. Mm -hmm. Our Tempranillo, which we actually just ran out of, we're going to have to bottle some more. It it was big and bold. I think it was like 14% alcohol. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) It, It was it was delicious. It's, um, so those are really good. Um, we do grow cab here, but it just does not flourish as well here as it does in California, but it makes a really good wine still. <laughs> wow. I wish I had yes. a glass of that right now. Uh, that. <laughs> yes. has a nice, nice pop to it. <laughs> well, talk to us a little bit about when you and your husband two years ago decided that you were going to, you know, you were going to leave the firm that you were at. I, I touched base on this just a few minutes ago, but I, I guess I want to go back to the the dime side of wine and dime because it, it is a big decision to leave with corporate benefits and to leave um, the security of a paycheck every you know month or every two weeks or whatever, and and go out on your own. What was that journey like, and, and how did you? I know you wanted to spend more time on, on the winery, but what what was your thought process and what were your fears? I know you said you talked to a lot of mentors, but what did you talk to them about? Well, I, I definitely did talk to a couple of people. And one thing that I did that I, I think was smart is I office with two other attorneys that also own their own law firms. And so that gives me Uh, still that bit of camaraderie that I love with the firm. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that was important to me that I would, even though I was out on my own, I would still feel like I had a community and relying on those attorneys that had been in private practice on their own for several years was critical. As I mentioned before, really building that community and making sure I had people to go to whenever and, and as an attorney, of course, we have those moments of, well, I've never seen this before. So <laughs> it seems like, too. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, it just seems like the facts are always just a little bit different or, or strange in, in certain cases. And so um, I, I made sure that I had the, some support around me. But the decision was tough. I do think that um, 
being able to look up to a couple of mentors was helpful. And, uh, you know, I just, I knew that I would work really, really hard because that's kind of uh, my personality. And so once I dove in, it just it just flowed and it went really well. And I, I, of course, was worried, will I have enough clients? Will I be able to fill my time? And definitely have been able to do that. And with the winery, I, I never seem to have enough time between the <laughs> two. But 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 it's it's been a fun journey. And of course, you know, the the law firm side of it where you do get that guaranteed paycheck every two weeks is a little bit different. And I'm sure you experience this, mm-hmm. but whenever you own your own business, um, you know, people may not pay right on time sometimes, or, you know, they may not pay right after they get their bill. And so you do have to really, um, watch that and make sure that you're projecting ahead and, and looking at what bills are coming due. And, and if you have, you know, any staff making sure you can provide for them. And so it does take a lot more of that management side of it than simply practicing law. And after the first year, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but for me, that first year was like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> did, I, did I do the right thing? I don't know. And after yeah. the first year, it was like, oh, okay, I think this is the right thing. And by the, the third year, I would, which is what you're coming up on, um, at least for me, I was like, okay, all right, this is going to work. This is all right. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Yeah, I think you, as I mentioned before, I kind of have those moments where I, I'm like, okay, I'm, this is good. I'm, I'm moving along just like I expected. And then, of course, you have those moments where you think, okay, am, am I going to be able to do this? And, um, you know, you just have to have that confidence and believe in yourself and just go for it. And the challenge, I think, for you is that it's too companies that you're running that have ebbs and flows, right? So, I mean, it's not like, absolutely. you know, it's not like, okay, you went off and started your own firm. You're, you and your husband are also self-employed. Yes, so, yes, we are. <laughs> so you have the other side and whenever I'm talking to vineyard owners, um, you know, a, a vineyard is a farm it, 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 and it, it has the same challenges that any farmer is going to have. And so, um, planning, quote unquote, for those challenges is almost a full-time job. It really is. And adapting, I think, um, wh- one thing that happened with the Texas wine industry is that it's been growing so fast that we almost have a bottleneck as far as processing the wine grapes. And so that has been an issue for vineyards as far as getting all of their wine grapes sold, Mm -hmm. simply because wineries don't always have a place to take them and get them crushed and pressed and Mm -hmm. and ready for barrel storage or whatever you're going to do. And so we had to make some adjustments this year, and we're actually making some bulk wine that we intend to sell and that w- that's completely different than we've had to do in the past. And so I think you have to constantly be ready to adapt um, in any field, really. And especially when you're in an industry that's growing fast, there's going to be some bumps in the road for sure. You kind of have to plan for the worst and hope for the best. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yes. I keep wanting to go back and talk more about wine. And for people that aren't, you know, that listen to the show, they know that this is like, you and I could go on for hours because I'm <laughs> always, <by> me. <laughs> I'm always curious about 
the winemaker itself too, and the and the love of the winemaker. So one thing that makes one cab sauve different from another cab sauve is yes, the grapes and the the what's in the ground and what's in the air and what's surrounding it and and how the soil is. Um, you know, the drainage in the soil. Yeah. There's, there's all that, the stress to the grapes, all that, but it's also the winemaker and yes, their heart and soul that's put into it. What, when you think about your uh, winery, what, what goes into making the wine? Well, goodness, so many different things. And, you know, the fun thing that we've had the opportunity to do, because we are gradually um, building up a processing facility, we, as we've started, and this is a good thing about the Texas wine industry, and I know a lot of um, other wine industries have done this, is we have, it's sort of like a co-op where we will work with um, a crush facility and work with their winemaker and then we have lots of input obviously Mm -hmm. and we're leasing the equipment and working directly with them and so we've done that with a couple of different places and so we've had this really fun opportunity to work with multiple talented winemakers and um, we actually have um, a staff member, our manager right now, who um, has his uh, Wine Spirit Education Trust Level 3. He's actually working on his master level next. And he wants to be a winemaker. His name is, I'll give him a shout out, Ben Hernandez. He's super um, knowledgeable. And so he's now getting to start helping us make wine. And so it's been so much fun to see our own company develop in that way. And of course, Chase and I love to um, learn more and more about winemaking ourselves. But between the practicing law, oh, and we also have four kids, we do, (laughs) we do make sure that we have an expert that we work with um, to, to guide us along on all those details that we might not know. So, but it's been a fun, fun process. And I know you're, you're laughing at my incredibly busy life. It is, it is a lot of fun. (laughs) It is, it is kind of crazy, but it's, it's a fun time for sure. It's just the way you threw that in there. Oh, and I have four kids. (laughs) You know, we have four kids. Well, that's kind of how it is in my life. I'm like, yeah, I've got this and I've got this and I've got this. And then I went to the corn maze this morning with the five-year-old. And (laughs) and that's a true story, actually. So... You know, I have successfully managed to spread my kids out so far that this week I shopped for my senior daughter who um, was getting a homecoming dress. We went shopping together and then I took my kindergartner to the corn maze this morning. (laughs) So somehow it's funny. We were talking the other day about how we're finally going to graduate one of them and there's one that's just starting out. So somehow (laughs) we've spanned our parenting life as far apart as we can, but it, it is so much fun. And, um, we joke that the oldest two are girls and the younger two are boys. And we joke that that's perfect because the girls are so helpful. They're like extra parents. Oh, so <laughs> I, so the, the thought that comes to mind from my angle is that's going to be fun planning for college with that span. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, at least I'll have some time, um, in between, but <laughs> your daughter, has she picked the college yet or she's narrowed it down? She she has. So she is an aspiring 
singer and songwriter. Maybe she can one day support us all and just, you know, promote our wine across the country or something. But she is going to go to Belmont and Nashville. So that's really far away from here. But I'm excited about visiting Nashville. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And Austin, um, if she wants to be somewhat closer to home, is incredible uh, for their music and especially country music anymore, but not just country music. There's the jazz there is unbelievable. And yes. those are, there's probably a lot more, but those are the two that I'm most interested in. So that's really what I know. But yeah, it's pretty in Dallas too. I mean, that's not, um, it, it's not yeah. shy from that either. It's a, it's amazing how Texas is actually that area that I just mentioned that actually become very well known for the music. Yeah. So in Loveland, where our first tasting room is presently located, South Plains College is there and they actually have a renowned commercial music program. So I tried really hard to get her to go. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's much cooler to go away somewhere like Nashville. So, um, you know, we're supportive and, and we think it's great. And, you know, just like I did, this is the time in her life to really go for it. So, um, you know, I, I understand that it's a tough industry to get into, but she she should try, you know. Yeah, so I, we're, we're supporting her. That's a, I, I mean, when you think about, again, I'm back on the four kids, right? You think about, I mean, each of your four kids probably have different talents, different interests, and will end up in different colleges. Um, planning that out while running a law firm, while running a vineyard, while opening another tasting room. Yeah, it's a bit much. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) There are days that I think if I could just sleep a little longer, maybe I could make it through. But, you know, it's as long as you're doing something. (laughs) Yes, it does. And that is, I will say that regardless of whether we ever make any money, I do have wine. So. That is um, a big benefit to having your own winery for sure. But yeah, I mean, it, as long as it's something you love, it you do still find the energy to do it. And so that's, luckily, I enjoy it all so much that somehow I find the energy to keep going every day. <laughs> what, what, beyond the fact that you have four kids um, and, and thinking about their transition, and I'm sorry to say this through the, you know, through the they're five-year-old all the way up to, you know, when they go off to college, is it your dream to continue to expand this winery and have additional tasting rooms? Or is it right now, let's just get this one going, get moving on this, and then, you know, kind of see what happens next. What would you guys like to do with this winery? If money wasn't a barrier, if nothing stood in your way except money, what would you do? You know, that's, oh, I love that question because I, I have um, building a wine empire dreams all over the place. But um, I think that we would just want to continue to expand our reach to where we could share Texas wine because we just believe so much in the wine that we grow here. And we believe that, you know, everybody needs to know about how great the wine is coming out of, you know, the high plains of Texas. And so I think For the most part, we would want to just get out there and be able to share our wine with everyone all over the United States and perhaps beyond. Mm -hmm. But um, 
right now, of course, we're just trying to convince um, West Texans to to give wine a try. And it's amazing. They are. And Texas is growing in the wine industry just exponentially. And it's driven by all these new wine drinkers and these Texas citizens that are so proud of their own state that they are finding that they love to drink Texas wine. And so we're really, Texas is really obnoxious when it comes to that kind of stuff. And so that's actually helpful for our industry (laughs) that we have a very populous state that is very prideful and loves their own. So we're trying really hard to promote Texas wine to Texans, but we would love to share it with um, the rest of the world. I think one of the things that I loved about your story when I first started reading about you is that, um, law is a really hard career. Um, I have a lot of clients that are attorneys and it's a really hard career for a woman. I, I, you know, especially if you're in a big firm Mm -hmm. and the fact that you've been able to take that and create your own business and have four kids and (laughs) run a winery, I, I think it can change the flavor of what it's like to be an attorney. It definitely does. And luckily I've found a way to merge the two to some degree. And I do practice in wine law and I actually help our friends that are also setting up a winery down the road, get their permits and make sure they're meeting the regulations. And I was actually working on someone's permit this morning. And so that's been really fun. But, you know, you mentioned about being a woman and being an attorney. I of course um, chose probably the most male dominated area in law, which is commercial litigation. And I don't know that it is, but I'm pretty sure it's one of the the most uh, male dominated. And it's also one of the most stressful Mm -hmm. as far as you're constantly in conflict, you constantly have deadlines, someone wins, someone loses, Mm -hmm. unless you settle and kind of have the win-win situation. And so I, you know, going through that and becoming an attorney, it definitely helps build um, just endurance, the ability to pick yourself up and keep going when you have a setback. Mm -hmm. And um, it's some really good just life lessons Mm -hmm. that you you get from the practice of law Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. And, And being able to recognize when the passion for it has changed a little bit to be able to switch gears. And I love the fact that you've been able, because this is the lesson that I try to talk to so many people about having a fair number of female attorneys that I work directly with when they get to about 10 years or so into their career. um, They, again, this is just my experience, but they often feel like they're stuck. Um, This is the law that they've focused on for the last 10 years. Um, They're at that point where their family is, starting to have some times to more demands on them, or they just are tired of it. And, and they honestly don't know what to do with this wonderful, you know, fact that they were trained in law, which is a wonderful, wonderful career, but they, because it's so specialized often, they don't know where to go with their career. And so I can see that I, I asked them a lot of times, you know, well, okay, if you could choose any other career, then what would it be? Like, what do you love about law? Like, what's the, what is the one thing that, what do you do for a hobby? And could you switch to practicing law in that direction? And you've done that. 
And that's what I think your (laughs) story is so incredible because uh, being, um, you mentioned that you were drafting up some permits. Uh, This is regulation of alcohol. This is not... (laughs) Yes. <laughs> this is yeah. pretty. Um, this is pretty. You know, you don't want to get caught selling alcohol without your permits. Uh, oh no! Pretty big no, trouble no. for that. <laughs> there are a few crumbs associated with that as well. So, and I'm not a criminal defense attorney, so <laughs> so don't call you for that. <laughs> I, I have some friends, but. <laughs> but being able to help people, it goes back to the comment that it's about community and not competition. And I think that even if you hadn't said that to begin with, everything else that you have said from you know the co-ops that you're running to the fact that you're now drafting up permits for other, other wineries um, kind of embodies that comment and um, just shows that, that that's truly something that you believe in, not just that you're saying. So kudos to you to figuring out how to make that transition in a way that you can love law very much again and mm-hmm. to share that talent in a way that um, is going to help continue to grow you know, the industry in your area. Because you know, Finger Lakes area went through this uh, 30 years ago, kind of started this trend that you guys are now starting. And they're now really starting to get that recognition at this point. They have been the last few years, but they're really starting to get the recognition for like the Cab Francs and their Pinot Noirs, where historically it's pretty much been, oh, they're a Riesling, you know, state. Yes. And and we are, we're pretty darn good Riesling state. But at the same time, we make some really neat, you know, neat wines that are not Rieslings. And you guys, as soon as you said Malbec, I'm like, oh, I love Malbec. I, I just, there's something about a Malbec that I don't know what it is, but it puts me in a very special place. Yes, it does. It does. (laughs) I just, I could never put my finger on it. And, and a good Cab Franc of a good Pinot Noir is, is great. And I really enjoy it, but a Malbec will silence me, which is a big thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, uh, thank you. I, I, uh, I can't wait. I know you can order some of this actually online. You said that there's certain states that you can actually ship to. Uh, are you selling anything in any of the like total wine or anything like that at this stage? Or is it still the volume's not large enough or the distribution isn't there yet? We're not in the larger, we don't have a distributor yet. Um, And that is one good thing legally about the wine industry is we are able to self-distribute at first. And so we're, we're probably kind of in the boutique winery size at this point, but we do plan to expand that and hopefully increase to where we could reach, just reach more people with our wine. We would love that. Because you have a wine club I see on the website. Yes. Yes, we do. We have an awesome wine club. And you know, this little town that we started in, Leveland, talk about winning over beer drinkers. I'm telling you, it has been so much fun to see um, this this lovely little town um, just become wine lovers. And so they um, actually had to like change the zoning laws and do all kinds of stuff um, to allow us to open. Mm-hmm. And they have been so supportive from the beginning and really encouraging, you know, any other wineries that want to come, we would love that. You know, that's how, you know, so many great wine destinations got started. It's just, you know, the second one came in and then three and four and more. And so it's, 
it's been a lot of fun and we've really enjoyed it. And so we would love to expand and have enough to go into the big stores, but we're just not quite there yet. I see quite a few of the restaurants that you're listed at that you get, that people can find you in. And you can find all this information out on their uh, website, which is berkeleyhillvineyards.com. Um, and yes. if it is a state that you have the ability to ship to, then people can sign up and become a, a club member or they can just order. It looks like that on your website as well. Um, yes. Ship to them. And what um, what is the number one seller? Um, not seller like where you put the wine to age, but <laughs> <laughs> seller from your vineyard. The wine. Huh. You know, I'd have to double check that mm-hmm. because it seems to go in stages. But I think right now, um, our Montepulciano is is really, really popular and it's getting close to selling out. So I know it's selling really fast right now. Um, we actually are about to bottle a new vintage of Malbec, and I'm sure that will be that does tend to be a lot of red wine drinkers' favorite of ours. Mm-hmm. But You know, another area that is really popular um, here in Texas, especially, is the rosé. So Mm -hmm. our rosé is really popular. And we just released our first sparkling. So we're super pumped about that. Yeah. 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 I see you have a lot of good blends. I'm looking at some of the the red wines, especially because that's my flavor, right? And some of the the intersection, I'm looking at the Sangiovese and the Malbec and the Merlot. And I'm actually, actually, it was actually drooling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that wine is an incredible wine. It's our most affordable red and it is delicious. And it's 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 actually really big and bold, so it really satisfies the red wine drinkers and it's great. We love it. And even your brunette, is that how it's pronounced? Brunette? Yes. So that's another, that was uh, my husband's great grandfather. And I'm told, talk about an accent, that it was properly pronounced Burnet, but I always say Burnett because I just think it's so pretty. <laughs> I mean, to have 78% Sangiovese San Gio, San and then a 2% yes. Cobb Franc, I'm assuming that that adds just a tad bit of pepper to it, just just to give it a little burn. Yeah, just a little bit. Blends do really well here, and we love just experimenting with blends because it really does just create this whole new experience with the wine. Well, I am definitely going to have to try some of these. As, I'm, as I said, I actually had to... We'd love you to. truly just a little. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking it's Friday. It's almost 4 o'clock. Oh, Friday. yes. It's happy hour. I love to close. And this has been such a wonderful conversation. And I look forward to, to chatting with you, I think, uh, more and more. But the, um, the questions that I love to ask, I mean, your journey is amazing. And the fact that you've been able to, to take a law career and develop it into truly um, focusing on uh, passion, I think for our listeners, many of our listeners, that may give some hope. Because like I said, they, I do think uh, there is a point where people feel stuck. And so um, I'd love to know what your definition of success is. Well, you know, I feel like I have so many, but I do believe that if you are able to 
sustain um, a business that you love in a way that reaches others and shares your story is success. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're trying to do. And, um, I, you know, a real easy way for me to judge success is if I can win over one new wine drinker, I'm happy. (laughs) Well, you just, have succeeded today then. <laughs> Yay. Although I, I, I don't know if you want over like um, be making me into a, a wine lover, but you want over somebody <laughs> who's definitely going to try your wine. <laughs> and I'll have to you're, if you're going to, if you'll give Texas wine a try, I consider that success. And you're successful because so, I'm yes. going to give it a try. <laughs> um, the second thing I love to ask people, because uh, as women, we tend to take on the world. And then when I listen to your story, I'm definitely thinking you're taking on the world. Uh, where do you find your peaceful spot or what feeds your soul? Well, that's, that's a good one. I really do love, um, those times to really just create and cultivate and think about the future. So I do try to allow myself some of that to actually stop working for a bit and do some goal planning and um, really just taking a dream and working all the steps down to where it's a plan. And so I do try to do that. Um, I like to try to do it at least once a month. Um, Sometimes I don't always succeed at that, but um, kind of stopping and reevaluating what you're doing and if it really is advancing that original dream. And so that that does help me to keep going. Well, I think that's good for anybody and, and is a great way to end this conversation is to take some time for yourself with a glass of wine. Oh, yes. Preferably, <laughs> preferably yes. this week with a Berkeley Hill Vineyards <laughs> class. That would be awesome. Day. Yes. Elizabeth, yes. thank you so <laughs> much for being on the show today. It has been such a pleasure. I hope everybody listening, if you're not a wine drinker, just give it a shot. The rosé is a great place to start. It's a great, I always think the rosé is a great entry point into wine drinking because it's so light and usually airy and has good fruit to it. So even if you don't think you're a dry wine, like, you know, you don't like dry wine, you're going to be surprised usually by any rosé. So um, that would be my recommendation. And then, then you'll join those of us that really love those nice heavy reds as well. So yes, (laughs) thank you. You know, thank you, Amy. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. We're going to say something and I cut you off. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, we all kind of progress through our palate. And I, it's so funny because I've noticed that I've come back around to really loving chilled wines um, this summer. And so I just think it's so interesting to see how we walk through our wine palate and um, love new wines that are different than they were the last time you tried them. Yeah. And I do think it's somewhat seasonal. I mean, I'm always going to go to my reds. I'm always going to do that, but I will, you know, in the hot, in the heat, heat of summer or when we're down in in Florida and it's April in the middle of the day on a Saturday a good glass of chardonnay or rosé or riesling it it's refreshing and that brings pleasure too but if I want a second glass it's always going to be a red for me <laughs> so but that <laughs> that's the benefit of wine like it just that's that's just it yes. it's it's your personality 
And there's no right it or really wrong. Is. I always harass people about being red wine drinkers, but there's, that's the thing about wine is that it can, there's no right or wrong. It's just what you like. I completely 100% agree. And I try to defend my sweet wine drinkers. I'm like, I think sweet wine has its place. And I, you know, I'm just so glad you're trying wine. So I'm with you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's where I started. So again, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this time together. Thank you, Amy. Welcome to the Nourish Your Vine section of the podcast, where we take just a few moments to answer some of the questions that are coming in. Joining me in today's session is Becky Eason. So Becky, have you heard any particular questions this week? Yeah, a question that we've been receiving quite a bit is people wondering about the difference between an HSA and an FSA. Yeah, it is that time of year, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So what are some of the things that you're telling people? Um, basically that an HSA is a health savings account and that can be used if you have a high deductible plan where the FSA is used if you have more like a PPO plan. Yeah, and there's different limits that kind of go with the two as well, right? Um, I think a lot of times because we use those abbreviations, both of them have the word SA in them and, and they both are health related in some, well, both used to cover costs that our health insurance plans don't cover. Um, but, the, but understanding that that high deductible plan goes with this. So you've got H for H, right? So I'm, I don't know about you, but I have to memorize how things run together when I, when I don't use them every day. So how I always tell people is a high deductible plan has an HSA, so high, so H with high, and HSA is H with the SA after it. So those two go together. And then the FSA, um, which is the flexible spending account, that goes with all the other types of, like you're talking about PPO plans. So one of the things that we always like to mention to people, if you're healthy, we always a lot of times suggest that high deductible plan and therefore connect in the HSA to go along with it. Uh, Do you recall what the limits are for the HSA going into 2020? Yeah, so for 2020, a high deductible plan is $1,800 for individuals and $2,800 for a family. So if your plan doesn't have those kinds of limits in them, um, then it's probably not a high deductible plan. Um, And do you know off the top of your head what the limits to the the actual HSA accounts are? So for an individual, for 2020, it's $3,550. And for a family, it's $7,100. And if you're over 55, then you have a catch-up contribution amount of $1,000. Well, there are benefits of being 55 plus then. <laughs> and then for the flexible spending account, do you know what the maximum contributions for 2020 is going to be? Yep. So that's going to be $2,750. So if you would like to learn more about HSAs and FSAs, um, hop on over to the Monday Morning Quarter book written by Carrie Bean this past Monday. She digs into this even more. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 
at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.